0: John one thirty five. So the rest of the chapter uh, one, we will be, it's, it's going to be under the heading, the birth of the church. Like we, we're going to be reading of the very first days of Jesus' church, the Christian church, our church, the church that we uh, are founded upon. Um, we're going to get through verse 39 today, uh, and we're going to just through the chapter, it's essentially going to be part one. We'll see how many parts it takes, but we're going to see the, the origin of our church. So let's look at uh, verse 35 to 39 together. John 1, 35. The next day, again, John, that's John the Baptist, was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. Gosh, Lord, thank you that we don't have to make stuff up or wander in the dark or wonder what you are like. You have revealed yourself. You have spoken. Thank you, God. Thank you this morning that we can look to your word and learn truth about what Jesus is like and our place in the story of Jesus and in his church. And Lord, I thank you for the power that you have placed in your word, that it's through your word that we are saved. Lord, would you save some this morning? Would you call new disciples this morning? I thank you that in your word, we see the glorious one, Jesus. Would you show us Jesus? Would you, Lord, lead us in righteousness? Would you lead us in truth? Would you speak now? We even say humbly, Lord, would you correct us? where we're off in our living or in our thinking. Would you um, lead us together, Jesus, as our chief shepherd through your word? And it's in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as Tyler was uh, just saying, we're in a unique season as a church. This is unique. Uh, God has brought us into this time of transition and together we are all feeling that and trying to discern, you know, Lord, what are, who have you called us to be as a church? And um, what are we called to do? And, you know, our elders are getting away to discern the will of God moving forward. And, you know, in a season like the one we're in, inevitably there are many ideas uh, and opinions and books and past church experiences that we're all drawing from, right? And that's, that's good, that's, that's good and that's wise. But you guys, there's one place that we all must turn to in this season. That's to the word of God. You know, this church is God's church. And God has already revealed the most important truths and instructions that we need to know who we are as a church and what we are to endeavor to do. This is no human institution or organization. If we are to be a faithful biblical church, if we are to be a church that is founded by Jesus, then we recognize we actually were founded 2,000 years ago we were, we were founded as Jesus began to build his church. We, Reality Carpinteria, are being built by Jesus on the foundation of Jesus and his apostles' teaching. That's the foundation of every church. And by God's great grace and wisdom, listen, every generation and every congregation is not called to like refigure it out the message and the methods are clearly given to us by Jesus in his word. And your job and my job and the elder's job and everyone in between is to just be faithful to hear what Jesus has said, what the apostles has said, and then obey. And yes, our elders must wisely discern specifics, how we're going to spend our resources and, you know, where, what place everyone is going to be. But by God's kindness and wisdom, we already have everything we need for life and godliness. We have everything we need, church. And this text this morning, the rest of John chapter one, we see the, the founding, the beginning of the church, And we're gonna be reminded of what is important. We we may be corrected in ways that we think certain things are important and we're missing other things aren't important. And so as we finish chapter one, we're gonna see like the essentials of the church. And listen, if we don't have it, it's not a church. We must have these things. We're gonna see four things this morning as we get through verse 39. And the first essential quality of the church of Jesus Christ is this the preached word of God. Look at verse 35 to 37 again. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, behold, the lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this and they followed Jesus. God used the gospel preaching of John the Baptist to create the very first disciples of Jesus. The first two members of the church were created through the hearing the preached word of God. Listen, God didn't use heaven, or human cleverness. He didn't use cultural engagement strategies. He didn't use a dialed institution. He used a voice in the wilderness who was proclaiming truth about Jesus. That's it. The truth of Jesus birthed the church. And when the early church gathered They didn't like get over that. They weren't like, you know, all postmodern. We don't need that anymore. Look at Acts 2.42. This is the very first thing the church did. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That's the New Testament. The New Testament was written by the apostles or close associates of the apostles. We are to devote ourselves. If we are to be Jesus' church, we are to devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching. When the apostle Paul was mentoring a young pastor, Timothy. He wrote to him in, in, in the first letter, First Timothy chapter four, verse thirteen Of all the things that Timothy's to do, what is Timothy the pastor to do? He says, Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, and to teaching. Years later, Timothy began to waver on that. He was losing his courage. There was false teachers and he was kind of getting afraid and Paul's about to die. And he wrote again to Timothy and he doubled down. Look what he said in 2 Timothy chapter four, one through four. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. or find some pastor to tell you what you wanna hear, you can do that, it's more than available to you. It is more than available today. But a true faithful church longs to hear the faithful preaching and teaching, reading, exhortation of the word of God and nothing else. We're willing to hear what we don't wanna hear we're not here to get our ears itched and be told we can have our sin or the Bible doesn't really mean that or if you really understood the context, it actually means the opposite. We don't do that here. We, can't, we come to hear the word of God preached. That is why we are here. That is the thing that brings life to the church. And not only life, salvation itself depends on hearing the word of God preached. Look at Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 21. For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. He's saying we don't learn about God through the wisdom of the world through our own eyes, looking around, you know, kind of saying, you know, I think God is this, or God would never do this, or God would do that. No, we learn, that we learn what God is like through the wisdom of God, which looks like foolishness to the world, but salvation is through the word of Christ. The, and it's foolishness. People are like, you believe that? Your God did what? He died? This is foolishness. But we know we are not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. The word of God brings real spiritual life. This is why Paul tells pastors and elders, guard it, guard the doctrine. Don't wander. Make sure you keep teaching what has been handed down to you. You don't come up with a new thing every with every new cultural trend or moment. Like hold on to it, guard it. This is the faith once and for all delivered to the saints. For all of us, no matter if you're, who you are in the church, discipleship, the essence of making disciples is passing on the word of God to another person. Look what Paul again tells Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2. What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men, and that word men can refer to men or women, who will be able to teach others also. That's four generations right there. Paul said, so would you hear from me? Timothy, second, pass it on to others who will be able to teach others. That's discipleship. We hear the word of God and we pass it on to others who can pass it on to others. Spiritual growth and life and discipleship happens as we study and preach and teach and pass on the word of God. And the church is birthed through the preached word. It's fed and led by the preached word. How else would Jesus lead his church? This is his word. He has all authority as we submit to what he has given us sadly, if you uh, study history, church history, in literally every, you know, century, every generation, there is a struggle, there is a struggle to hold on to the preached word of God. Humans in every century, if you you read it, it's every century, have been tempted to, to glory in something else. Maybe it's uh, their architecture, maybe it's uh, great teachers, maybe it's new innovative this or that, maybe it's, it's every generation, and yet God raises up faithful preachers who were like, I'll preach the word even if you kill me, and if you read church history, a lot got killed, fighting for the word of God to be translated in the language that people could understand, I'll close uh, this point with just one, one more point. Isaiah 40, verse six through eight. Hear this, this is beautiful. A voice says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass. And all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers. The flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Forever. It will stand forever. This is our anchor and our hope, what brings life to our church. Which leads us to the second quality of the church we see in this text, and it's this. We see in Jesus' church, there are self-effacing sacrificial leaders First look at look at John the Baptist. Let's read this again verse 35. The next day John was standing with two of his disciples and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, "Behold the Lamb of God." The two disciples heard him say this and they followed Jesus. You know what that means? That means John lost his disciples. That means John lost some influence. He lost a little bit of maybe popularity or power. He was losing his, and think of this, John's whole life was, and his whole ministry was building to the moment when Jesus would arrive. That's his whole life and his whole ministry. And now Jesus shows up and, and John is simply saying, do you know what? Look at Jesus. Don't look at me. Look at Jesus. Don't look at my ministry or my spiritual insight or my movement or my gifts or my personality or my position, look at Jesus. And the success, think of this, this is crazy. The success of John the Baptist's ministry was that he would lose his ministry. The success of his ministry is that he would lose everything he's worked for, that people would leave him and follow Jesus. Spiritual success for John the Baptist was to draw attention away from himself, that people would look onto Jesus. And do you know what John said? That's his joy. It is his joy. He says, you know what? When the bridegroom comes... And the husband about to get married comes, it's the joy of the best man that everyone's just looking at him. It's that is why he exists. It's his joy to give attention away and onto Jesus. And you know what? That is a picture of true spiritual leadership. Cross shaped leadership. Ego crucifying leadership. There is nothing further from Christ like leadership than like grabbing for myself and we actually notice this we probably we don't notice it but there's another way we see this here there's two disciples right there's two disciples who heard john preach and left and in verse 40 we learn one of them was andrew and we never learn explicitly who this other disciple is but this other disciple um we'll put it this way This story has a lot of detail to it, down to the hour, what hour it was, and where they went, and what time it was. And church historians and commentators are almost certain this other disciple was the author of the book of John himself. He was there. And in fact, John never once names himself in his own gospel never once even writes his own name. John, who wrote this book, was willing to write his name out of the story so that our attention would be on Jesus. That's incredible. That is unbelievable spiritual leadership. That is like, hey, look at Jesus. And I just wanna challenge all of us. If, if you want to lead in Jesus' church in any way, shape, or form, your goal must be to get, give glory to Jesus and get attention away from yourself. I, even as we were singing uh, that song about the elders before the throne in heaven, these guys were seated on thrones in heaven and they had crowns on. And what did they do? They just got on their knees, they took off their crowns and they cast them at the feet of Jesus. That's incredible. And, and Our leader, Jesus, left his throne, came as a human being, washed feet, and served people, and ended his life hanging naked on a cross for sinners like you and me. That is spiritual leadership. That is what the church is to be marked by. Now, the next essential quality in Jesus' church is this. A proper understanding of who Jesus is. A proper understanding of who Jesus is. In these, the rest of chapter one, uh, Jesus is named or referred to 19 times. His name is mentioned 10 times. He's called the Lamb of God. He's called the rabbi and teacher. He's called Messiah and Christ. He's called him who Moses and the prophets wrote. He's called Jesus of Nazareth, son of Joseph. He's called the son of God. He's called the son of man. He's called the king of Israel. That's just the rest of chapter one. And what John, the author, is doing is making sure our attention is on Jesus and it's, 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 we're thinking rightly and clearly about Jesus. Listen, I can already tell this is like, oh, this is like a doctrinal point, you know, like let's just wait for the next practical point here. But listen, in our day of tolerance and relativism, it sounds silly. Like, do you really need to split hairs over the precise, you know, doctrine of who Jesus is? Do we really need to like get down to the nitty gritty? Can it be enough to just say, yeah, I'm good with Jesus? I follow Jesus. You know, I'm good. I love Jesus. I worship Jesus. Isn't it enough to just say that? Um, Think of this. Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons agree salvation is found in Jesus. Does it really matter if they're, they're, you know, maybe off on a few minor details? You know, the Roman Catholic Church agrees that Jesus contributes to salvation. Do we need to split hairs over that? Uh, ancient Gnostics and modern new age still agrees that, you know, they're saving knowledge in Jesus. You know, is it really that far of a stretch that, you know, yeah, Muslims and Jews don't recognize everything we do about Jesus, but they at least recognize he's a prophet. Or is the, you know, people may ask, is the Bible really all that dogmatic about the the need to personally know the name Jesus and personally cling to him by faith? You know, maybe in eternity, God will give us a second chance or maybe they're already saved by Jesus and they don't even know it. All of those ideas are being taught today by so-called Christian teachers and authors and podcasts and colleges. Those ideas You will hear them taught. And John, the apostle, as he lists all these identities of Jesus, all these names and titles and roles, he is showing us we have, the church of Jesus Christ has to get the person of Jesus clear. It matters. It matters what we say about Jesus. It matters what we think about Jesus. It matters what names we give to him. And in just these four verses, there are four names or titles of Jesus that we're gonna look at. We'll look at more as we finish chapter one, but there are four names or titles in these verses. And the first is simply this, his name is Jesus. He has an identity. His name matters, right? Did, uh, in school, any of you have like unique names and you got your name mispronounced? And you're like, hey, that's not my name. Like for me, it's not, I'm not Bu. I'm Bo. It matters, you get my name right. Listen, Jesus Christ has an actual personal name. He is not who we make him to be. He exists, he has an identity and it it, it Matters, it eternally matters that we know these details of Jesus. His name means Yahweh saves. Yahweh, the God of the Old Testament, saves. It matters that we know that. It matters that we know that this was a real Jewish man who walked around Israel 2,000 years ago. It matters that we know his mother was the Virgin Mary. Mary and was born of a virgin. Do you know why that matters? Because that means he's more than just a human. It means he was conceived of the Holy Spirit. It means he is the son of God. It matters that we know that, but yet it also matters, as we're gonna see time and time again in the book of John, that Jesus was God. These seven I am statements. He is identifying himself as Yahweh of the Old Testament. And and if 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 all we get right is Jesus is fully God and fully man, it would dismantle every one of those other false statements we have already read. That matters. It really matters that we know who Jesus is because you don't have a saving Jesus apart from the Jesus revealed in scripture. You don't have a saving gospel apart from a fully human, and a fully divine Jesus. You simply don't. It matters. He is Jesus. The second uh, title in these these verses is this, the Lamb of God. As we read already uh, last week, we dug deep into it, but essentially it is this. He is a lamb because he takes away the sins of the world. You do not have a saving gospel. You do not have a saving Jesus without acknowledging that you are a sinner who has willfully and repeatedly rebelled against God. And because all of us have sinned, every person justly deserves God's eternal judgment. And yet, this holy God is compassionate and slow to anger. And this God loves the very ones who have sinned against him. And so God has provided a substitute, a sacrificial lamb to be punished in the place of sinners. This is a perfect, spotless, eternal lamb of God. And it's important we know that as Jesus will later say, I willingly lay down my life. No one takes it from me. Even the father isn't taking it. I am willingly laying down my life as the son of God. I am, I lived a perfect life and he died a sinner's death on a Roman cross and he died and he was dead for three days. And then he rose from the dead and he interacted with people and now he's seated in heaven. And if anyone would acknowledge that they have sinned against God and they put their trust in Jesus, he becomes their substitute and all of the sin they deserve goes to Jesus and all of his righteousness is placed to them and we are forgiven of our sins. That is the only saving gospel. And it's what the church must know and defend and proclaim. The same way the word of God has been contested in every generation, the gospel has been contested in every generation just little drifts here little things there does it really matter this does it really matter that it eternally matters there's no Paul said there is no other gospel but the one that he passed on the third title of Jesus is he is he's called rabbi and teacher it says it in verse 39 or 38 rabbi which means teacher now these guys you know are just beginning to, to see Jesus and understand Jesus and follow Jesus. And they're at least willing to recognize, okay, it seems like Jesus is a rabbi. Seems like he can offer me some spiritual truth. But they didn't quite yet know what we know, that Jesus isn't just a rabbi. He's not just a teacher. He's not just someone who explains to us the words of God. As John 1 once says, he is the word of God. He is not just a teacher of truth, he is truth. He is the clearest, most definitive word from God. He is the truth. And when we come to Jesus, we don't just learn from him what God is like, we see God. We see God in the flesh. And the church is built up as it looks to Jesus and sings about Jesus and gathers around the person of Jesus as the word of God. And the Holy Spirit is is referred to as the spirit of Jesus in Romans 8, 9. And the spirit loves to magnify and glorify Jesus. As we study the person of Jesus, the spirit loves, loves to bless that and illuminate that, and make our hearts come to life. Like, this is true. Look at Jesus. What he says is true. The fourth title we see of Jesus in these verses is Messiah, or Christ. The word Messiah is a Hebrew word, and the word Christ is a Greek word, and what they both refer to is, it means anointed one, anointed one. Uh, it's important to know this, There have always been false uh, ideas that, that the Christ, the Messiah, is somehow found outside of the person of Jesus. You know, people say you gotta find the Christ in every culture or find the Christ in every religion. And we cannot separate what God has brought together. The Messiah, the Christ, is the person of Jesus. That is the only Messiah, the only anointed, saving one. There is no other Christ. There is no other name by which people can be saved but knowing and clinging to the person of Jesus Christ. You don't have a saving gospel apart from Jesus Christ. The perfect one, the anointed one. You know, that word Messiah comes from Old Testament uh, anointed one. You know, the the people in the Old Testament who were anointed were prophets and priests and kings. And Daniel came and he prophesied, there's going to come the ultimate anointed one. The ultimate prophet, the ultimate priest, the ultimate king. The anointing of all those things rests on Jesus, the saving one the king of kings, the true prophet, the true priest. So church, we are all about Jesus as he's revealed himself in his word, as he is in all of his names and attributes, as the Holy Spirit reveals him, that is how we are to know him. We come to Jesus on his terms, to understand his name and what he is really like. It is essential. We cannot miss knowing who this person is, Jesus Christ. A fourth quality of the church is found in verses 37 to 39. And it's essentially this. It's a hunger to be with Jesus. A hunger to be with him. Look again, verse 37 and 30, through 39. The two disciples heard him say this and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said, what are you seeking? And they said, rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day for it was about the 10th hour. As these two guys hear the word of God preached by a humble man of God and as they heard truth about the true Jesus, do you know what they did? They, they just longed to be with him. They longed to know him personally. Not just information, not just logging some info on the Messiah. They longed to be with him, to commune with him, to ask him, where are you staying, his abode, to abide with Jesus, to seek the presence of Jesus. Look, it begins in verse 37 as it says, they followed him. Uh, i just learned this this week when it says they followed him it's it's likely this this story is likely speaking to their initial salvation their initial salvation but we know that it wasn't until later as they they went back to their professions that they were called to become disciples full time like they left their nets they left everything and they followed him we see them fishing and kind of doing their jobs they were saved but later, Jesus calls them to follow him full time. And then even later, they become apostles. They're appointed as the 12 apostles. But this here is the beginning. It's the initial like hearing of Jesus. And I want to learn more of who is this man. And, and so this is, this is so profound, though. So the first church ever built was not built through, this is so significant, a church program or a desire to have their physical needs met or not built because of good music or not built because of this organization was just so, you know, like impressive. They, they were not built because they heard a feel good message. They just wanted to be with Jesus. They heard the truth about Jesus and, and the spirit of God drew them and they thought, I just want to be with him. At that, that is how the church is built. Hearing the word of God, seeing Jesus for who he really is in the spirit just creates this longing, this hunger to be with him. And the church is all of us together, coming together to be with Jesus. That is how the church is formed. And that is what should mark the church, this hunger to be with the person of Jesus. And so in verse 38, Jesus turns to them and he asks them, What are you seeking? What are you seeking? And this is beautiful. Jesus initiates the conversation. He sees them. And he asks them, what are you seeking? This is like Jeremiah 29, verses 12 through 13. Look at this promise from God. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. If you seek out Jesus the way these two men did, you will find him. You will find him. And so they ask him in verse 38, Rabbi, where are you staying? Like, can we be with you? Can we go where you're staying? It was about four o'clock in the afternoon, the 10th hour, and they're recognizing, okay, the sun's going down and they don't say, can we have a quick conversation? They're like, can we go be with you? And so they do, they go and they stay with Jesus. They, they got a glimpse of Jesus from afar, but they're they not content with the little they know about Jesus. I wanna ask you, does that mark your heart and your relationship with Jesus? Yeah, I know some things about Jesus, but I'm just not content, I need to know him more. I long to be with him, to spend time with him, to go be with him. And do you know what Jesus says to them in verse 39? Verse 39. Come, come, and you will see. You will see. Uh, the pastor John Calvin said of these words, This kind and gracious invitation, which was once made for two persons, now belongs to all. Jesus says the same thing to you. You want to come? Come, and you will see. Hear Jesus right now say to you come and you will see if you've never come to him come and you will see if you know just a little bit about him come and you will see if you have been walking with him for 50 years come and you will see because as we as we read the gospel of John and this is how Jesus ends the chapter he says you haven't seen you haven't seen the, the, you've got just a tiny taste of who I am. The more you come to Jesus, the more you come to look at Jesus, hear me, it only gets better. It only gets better. He only gets bigger and more glorious and more interesting and more satisfying. He is the well, the the eternal, the fountain from which every other joy comes from. He says, come to me and you will see, you will be satisfied. Come to me. And so as we read the rest of this chapter and learn more of the church and as we read the rest of the book of John and we learn more of what Jesus is like, those words hang over it all. Will you come to Jesus? Do you know him? Have you heard his word, his voice, is his spirit drawing you? And I just, you know, if you're you're wondering when you hear, okay, I'm supposed to hunger for Jesus, what if I don't hunger for Jesus? If you have that question, what if I don't? Let me just say this, if, you, if that question never went through your brain, then, then likely the Spirit isn't even at work. You're not even listening to me right now. But if you're even asking the question, what if I don't hunger for him enough? What if I don't? Let me just say, that is evidence that the Spirit is drawing you. Yeah, but what if I'm not enough? What if I don't know enough? What if I don't? Listen, come to him. Come, you, come now. As we sing to him in the second set of worship, you can come and you will find the eternal one. And tomorrow morning, if you come, you're gonna find more. And the next day, you will find more. And for all of eternity, the people of God will be gathered around Jesus, beholding him in his presence, satisfied, full of joy. Will you come to Jesus this morning? Jesus, we need you. And together we all come to you. From the the unsaved to the oldest in the faith, Jesus, we say that we need you. We need your presence. Lord, I thank you that you created our souls to be hungry. You made our souls hungry and thirsty in a way that is only satisfied in you. So please, Holy Spirit, would you draw and lead all of us together to Christ, the Lamb of God, the King of Israel, the Messiah. Thank you, Jesus. You invite all of us to come to you in our weakness, in our sin, in our doubts, with our questions and failures. You say, come to me. That's what you've always said to your people. Come and you will find me. So Jesus, now we, we do, we come. Uh, even if all we have is just a really simple prayer. Like, Lord, I just, I don't know, I wanna know you more. Would you show me more? Help me, help me understand you more. You say, you will, you will answer us. You are living God. This isn't just information. This isn't just like religion or rules or thoughts. We come to a a living God, the living God, the one in whom all life finds its life, the one in whom we literally move and live and have our being. There is no one like you, Jesus. So we come to you this morning.